Welcome to the Recession Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm Sam Newell, your host, and it is my goal to educate you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. I interview the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country to find out what they have learned and implemented since the 2008 recession. With over 10 years in real estate investing, it has become my goal to help others invest for double-digit returns, but to also stay safe and not get caught in the next downturn. Tune in and become recession-proof. I've been listening to your guys' podcast, and I think you're doing a great job, and I'm excited to have you on. You guys are a power couple. Cool. Thanks, man. So, yeah. Tell me about how you guys got started in all this. Sure. So I invested in real estate in single family homes since 2013. And we, I wanted to expand and and grow. And with single family homes, especially with turnkeys is how I started tough to scale. So we started a group that we called, what was it called? Moonshot Mondays, where we would just get a group of people together and just talk about crazy ideas and stuff like that. And it started out as four or five people and slowly dwindled down to three. And we just found multifamily. We said, hey, you know, we tried to start an Amazon business, didn't really work out. And uh, we're like, hey, I'm already in real estate. I have my license. I've invested in some single family homes. Why don't we look into real estate? So then we just started searching online. And that's where we found uh, multifamily looked into that and just kind of went full steam ahead with multifamily syndication after learning the business model. Just loved the, fell in love with the business model. So it started out as three of us and then one person who was a friend of ours just couldn't commit the time and energy that it, it really takes to, you know, start a business, a company. Uh, so then that's when it basically became her and I. Awesome. It does take a lot of time to, I mean, you guys have jobs and, and I'm struggling with that right now. It takes a lot of time to set things up correctly, right? Yep. Yep. Which is why I left my full-time job 10 months ago now just to focus on this. And she still has her full-time job to support us. Wow. That's awesome. Congrats guys. That's really cool. Thank you. So how'd you guys meet? I'm curious because you just got married. Congrats, by the way. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. You can go ahead and tell that story. <laughs> it was through a mutual friend who was my boss at the time and set us up on a blind date and the rest no is great. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. So blind date. Cool. Yeah. And how long have you guys been dating before you got married? Just two, a, two and a half years. Okay. So you guys have been in the real estate game together for a while now, it sounds like. And, and... About a year and a half. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, you guys are a power couple. That's awesome. So <laughs> do, you have, do you guys still have single families then? I'm trying to sell them all. They're all turnkey. And so they're all on the market right now. Just trying to dispose of those and put the money back into multifamily. Awesome. That's what I'm doing right now as well. Just sold yep. one and got a couple more for sale. So good for you guys. So tell me about your single family experience though. How long have you been licensed and, and you know what, what did you do there? So I've been licensed for going on four years now, and I really don't use my real estate license in Southern California for anything other than friends and family. I actually originally got it just to learn more about real estate. Uh And from there, you know, I've I've done a couple homes, but I really wanted to do it for myself. And at that point, I thought I was going to be investing in California. So I said, hey, why not get my license? I could buy and sell my own properties, uh, maybe do some flips. But I had a a property out here in Long Beach that I bought. It was cash flowing well, but I had a really bad experience. I put in a professional tenant. They knew what they were doing. 
that time I was just starting to get um, acclimated with real estate investing. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I tried to evict them by myself. Uh-oh. And uh, yeah, that process did not go well. In California, I'm not sure about in any other state, but if you accept even $1 of rent, you know, if they pay you $1, even if they owe you 10, that's, that's considered accepting rent. You have to start the eviction process all over from day one. What? So it took me eight months to get that person out. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, suffice to say, I lost a ton of money on that one. But when I sold the house, I actually ended up making most of that back. So I, I think I pretty much broke even on that deal. So it was a good learning experience, but just the landlord laws in California just did not, you know, I was not a fan of them at all. So I decided to buy turnkey out of state in the most landlord friendly state, which is, which is Arkansas. And so those actually went well, they cash flow, they do well for me, but I wanted a little bit more cash flow. And that's when I got a little more aggressive and I bought in Chicago and those are very high cash flowing properties. You know, if you're buying a hundred thousand dollar home, I'm cash flowing even after setting aside maintenance and vacancy seven, 800 bucks, which is is fantastic. But taxes have doubled. That's Uh killing me. Uh, And these are C minus class properties. So on the turns, it's, it's really biting me in the butt. And so uh, long story laws in in the Chicago area. Not good. So I I basically abandoned my business plan of buying in the most landlord friendly to to go for more cash flow, right? But I diversified. I also have some in Ohio and those are more landlord friendly there as well. But I took a chance on the Chicago market to get more cash flow and it's actually not worked out very well to be honest. So I just that's why I like multifamily is it's based off a business metric, you know, bottom line and it's multiplied by the cap rate. So it's tough to do that with single family homes and especially with turnkey. I think if I was to go back and invest in single family, I would do it on my own and, and rehab them and, and be able to pull some money out and, and do all that. That That's where the margins are. When you buy turnkey, your margins are very thin and it's right. really tough to cash flow. Yep. I hear you. Well, I, I heard a couple good points there that I want to point out to our listeners, but before I, I talk about those, I wanted to ask you why, other than that, like what made you really think, okay, multifamily is going to be, be better. I mean, maybe more cash flow, maybe less risk, but in your own words, what really made you decide to go multifamily? Um, what are the metrics that you really saw that looked more appealing to you? Yeah. So our background is in the golf business and basically we were general managers, regional managers. So, you know, we spent a lot of time looking at numbers and managing people. And I think that's what multifamily is, right? It's, it's how can you increase the income or the revenues or the rents and how can you control the expenses to get your bottom line to be greater? And also how can you manage people to get that outcome? Because I think a lot of apartments and multifamily is managing the manager and making sure that they're hiring the right people and operations is crucial. And so our background was in that area. And so we feel like it, it lends to multifamily very well. And I just like that you have more control over that. I think with single family home, especially with turnkey is, is was since it's our experience is if you buy two turnkeys that are sitting next to each other and they're identical, they're likely going to sell for the same price. I mean, within a couple percentage points, right? And with multifamily, if you have two multifamily properties sitting next to each other, but one is run more efficiently than the other and driving a better NOI, that one's going to sell for more. 
And so we believe in ourselves as operators and we believe that we understand how to drive revenues, control expenses and manage a P&L and manage other people because that's what we did in our past lives. And yeah. so because of that, we are really attracted to multifamily. Awesome. I, I love what you said there. You know, it's, it's more of a business and it's more of a scalable business that you can operate a little bit more efficiently for the, for the same amount of time put in. It, it's definitely a more scalable business. Well, you know, talking about landlord friendly states and not landlord friendly states, it's funny because I'll have these California investors say, oh, no, it's evicting isn't going to be that big of a deal. And and they, they don't believe me when I say, hey, you know, this is why people buy in Utah and Idaho and Nebraska in different places. And then they'll have an eight month eviction. They're like, OK, yeah, it wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. So I'm I'm unfortunate for you guys. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, there's a learning process out there that, you know, people can at least listen to your your stories. And what other than, you know, accepting rent, what takes so long to evict someone in California. That's the thing I think people don't get is they think they should just be able to go to a judge and say, okay, they haven't paid rent, but it's not that simple, right? No, I just think that California favors the tenant, right? And right. so you have to really build a case against why that person should not be living in your property. And it, I've even heard of instances where California says, not paying rent is not a reason to evict a person, you know? And so cha laws change out in California so often and it can turn on a dime. Even the rent control stuff that's going on right now, which, you yeah. know, I say you can make money in any type of market or a niche or industry. You just have to understand the risks that go along with it. But I think a lot of people don't understand those risks. And yeah, it's, it's just difficult because you've got to build a case. And so when someone doesn't pay rent in another state in a pro business and a pro landlord state, it favors the landlord. So there's no real case that you have to build. It's look, this yeah. person didn't pay rent and uh, they agreed to pay rent and they're yeah. not. So let's get them out. Interesting you way, say that. It's not even that these states are landlord friendly. And, and as you're talking, I, th I thought, you know, this is just contract law. And so basically California has thrown out the basics of contract law. You signed a contract that says, in exchange for living in a house, I will pay you rent. That's the, I mean, basically that's what it's in a rental contract. And they're saying, no, we're not going to enforce a rental contract. Yep, exactly. Wow, yeah, in Utah, it's a three week process. Someone doesn't pay rent, you give a notice for eviction, you spend 600, 750 bucks, go to a, a judge and say, hey, look, the contract is broken. It's null and void. They violated their contract and let's get them out. So, wow, that's interesting. But it finally clicked while you were talking. They just, they ignore contract law, basically. Yeah, I, and I also think, again, since they favor the tenant, if the, if the tenant is building a case, they're gonna be more open to listening to their side first and and, you know, it's just a longer process. It'll be something will be delayed. So you got to go back to court once they look into it. And it's just not as cut and dry in California as I think it is in other states. And, and it goes back to the contract. You know, certain states are like, hey, look, this is what is in the contract. So what we're going to buy by and other ones, they yeah. allow the tenant to kind of dictate what's going on. That's insanity. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, don't buy in what is it, Illinois, California, 
people that ignore or states that ignore contract law. And, and so Nebraska sounds good. I know Idaho's good. Utah's really, really good for contract law or, you know, tenant landlord relationships and, and contracts. But so you quit your job 10 months ago, that, that's huge. And so you're all you're doing is buying multifamily or looking for multifamily. Didn't you guys just, I think you just closed on one. What, what are you looking for when you're looking for these multifamily deals? Yeah, we just closed on our first syndication two months ago, about two months ago now. And we're looking for value add deals. So, uh, and what that means is it's either a mismanaged property or one that we can force appreciation into, right? By either putting some money into the property and, and getting rents higher or just doing a better job of managing the property in itself. And so we look in the Arizona market specifically, which is landlord friendly. It takes 30 days to evict someone, which is great. Yeah. Um, and we look in Phoenix and Tucson. So those are our two markets. We're out there uh, building relationships. So I'm out there at least every two weeks, if not every week, oh, wow. and wow. meeting with brokers, touring properties, building relationships. And that's, that's why we decided that it was time for me to leave my full-time job because we're big on building relationships. And so awesome. the full-time job, you know, maybe we can get out there once a month, but be on the weekends, tough to meet with brokers, tour properties on the weekends. So we just needed more flexibility. We were ready to make offers and close on deals. And so that's why we, why we decided together that it was time to take that leap. That's awesome. I love that you jumped in all the way. I mean, that is so cool because there's so many people that, and it's not a bad thing, but there's so many people that want to do it on the side before they commit, you know, and they do it. And, and I feel like a lot of people just lose steam because it's very time consuming, but you guys just closed on your first deal. I'm assuming it was a, a value add opportunity that made you some money, made your investors some, some great money. So I think there's risk and reward, but it's really hard to focus on something as, you know, detail oriented and, and time consuming as real estate, just a couple hours a week, you're not going to have a lot of success, basically. Tell me what kind of, you know, so when you're saying value add, are you looking for just putting lipstick on a pig? You know, I've worked with a lot of investors and flippers where they want mold, they want cat pee, they want hoarders, you know, they want the worst of the worst stuff that scares other people. Or are you kind of in the middle, like, you know, something that just needs to be updated so you can make it look nicer, better for the tenants and then raise rents that way? What, what do you like? Yeah, we're definitely not lipstick on a pig. I mean, one of our core uh, principles is to make sure that we provide a really great living environment for the residents. So we do have the residents in mind when we take over these properties. It's not a, hey, let's just, let's just paint the property, make it look better so we can turn around for a much larger profit. And the people that do that, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But we just have kind of a bigger why behind it. If you walk through some of these properties that, you know, do have the cat pee in the, in the, <laughs> in, on the floors and, you know, people are just living at a level that is just unsanitary and it's yep. not really, it's a sad thing to see. So what we want to do is go into these properties and just make them better, you know, whether that's by hiring a professional third party property management company that's going to actually complete the work orders that, need to be completed. You know, yep. that's a big thing. There's some property management companies that are, you know, 15, 20, 30 work orders deep and not getting to them for six or seven months. And these people have to live oh. in these conditions. So we do look for value add in the sense that it's being mismanaged and we can go in there and we can provide better, safer, cleaner living environments for the residents while also making a return back for our investors. So uh, true value adds, you know, going in, renovating interiors, 
adding things that the residents would like to see, whether it be playgrounds, dog parks, more furniture out at the pool area, monthly events for the residents, anything that can make the residents' lives. Cameras. Yep, we're adding security cameras at ours. Yeah, even gated communities in certain areas if you can make that happen. So we take the residents' um, opinions and want to make it a better living environment for them first, not really, you know, just selling it just for a profit. No, that's huge. And I think the investors that focus on really just extorting these renters and these properties and sucking as much income as they can out. They ultimately, I don't think do as well as they could. And it's sad because those are the properties we look for as well. We want someone that's just a slum lord doing a terrible job. The tenants are unhappy because we know it's a win-win. We know that if we give the tenants a, a good experience, they're safer, they're cleaner, they're more happy rents have to go up. That's just, that's basic economics. Rents will go up because it'll be more desirable place to live and you'll be able to charge more rents. And so we get a great return. We feel good about it. We don't feel like we're taking advantage of people. And, you know, one of my business partners, he just wants to provide just like you guys, really good housing for people that just makes him feel good. So I want to make sure that our listeners understand you don't have to be a slumlord to make a bunch of money. That's that's something that people think of, and I think it's very, very wrong. It's actually the opposite. The people. That- yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you a good example of yeah. just listening to the residents. So our property in Arizona, it's a smaller one. It's forty-two units, but we've spent time, and I've made sure that our property management spends time listening to what the residents would want if we put money back into the property. We have our business plan, and we know what we want to do. But you know, several of them said, "Hey, we need some cameras around here to see what's going on." Hey, we would love a dog dog run. And hey, we would want, there's some area that's not being used. Can we use that as storage? Okay, so we're listening to the residents while we're putting money back into the property. Number one, the storage area, now we're getting $30 per area in rent, in rent for those storage areas. So more income by listening to the residents. We added a dog run, it costs $1,000, right? A thousand bucks, no big deal. Now they're happy about that. Mm-hmm. And then the camera system, we added that. That was a couple thousand dollars, but it also allows us to control the property a little bit better and make it a safer environment. So now we actually have people leasing up for performer rents with unrenovated units, you know, and that's all they wanted was a safer wow. environment, you know, and some of these unrenovated units will replace appliances if they're not working and things like that. But now we don't have to go in and spend the five, six, seven grand per unit. All they wanted was, you know, the dog run and, to pay 30 bucks a month for storage. So I think listening to your residents and what they want in the property is extremely important and you can get really good information from the people that live there. And if you work with them instead of against them, you know, it it could work out to your benefit. That's awesome. You know, I just helped a client buy a large property and none of the dishwashers work. They're using the dishwashers for storage. (laughs) Yep. And you know, the tenants, you know, they, they didn't think we cared. So we didn't know we closed on it. And I think we had overlooked it. We didn't really care because dishwashers a dishwasher, you can replace it. There's a lot more serious things on the inspection list. And we go in there and I'm like, wait a second, what, what's in your dishwasher? They're using like storage, ba- um, grocery bags and things. And, and I said, well, why don't we get you a new dishwasher? And, and the lady was just like almost in tears. She was so excited. And for like 250, 350 bucks, she's got a brand new dishwasher. She thinks we're the best now. We didn't raise rent on her. We just wanted her to have a, a great, great unit to live in. So it was interesting where 
we thought they'd say something, but she didn't say anything because she had requested things to be updated and fixed from the last landlord and they just ignored her. And yep. she wasn't in a position to move or move out. And, and she has, she's a single mom with four kids. So it, it made us feel good that we, that we made her day just by getting a new dishwasher. Yeah. And saving that 300 bucks to some people is just short-term thinking, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. I'll save 300 bucks, but in the long run, you're going to yeah. lose a tenant. And what, what's the worst thing in, in real estate is tenant turnover. That's yep. what costs you the most is the turnover. Yep. And so if you can keep your residents happy by spending $300, it's a no brainer all day long. Yep, it is. Well, look, we're running out of time, guys. I'm probably going to have to have you on again to talk about some other things, but I really appreciate you being on with me really quick either one of you, you know, the name of the podcast is recession proof real estate investing. Do you have any stories or experiences that somebody just made a really wrong choice in real estate other than buying in Chicago? Um, <laughs> just kidding. But no, like a mistake you're seeing people make now that potentially would not be recession proof that could get them into trouble in the next four or five years if there's a pullback in the market. Yeah, I can just tell you what we do to try and prevent ourselves from getting into that situation. We buy on three metrics, right? Make sure the property cash flows on day one. Mm -hmm. Make sure that we raise enough capital upfront to perform our business plan. And I think that's the biggest thing is some people purchase a property and will utilize the cash flows to then put back into the property. Well, if there's a dip in the market and there's no cash flow all of a sudden, how can you execute your business plan? You just right. can't. So we raise the money up front, even though it costs a little bit more so that even in a downturn, we can still get our property to where we want it to be and we can execute on our business plan. And then number three is just lock up long-term debt. You know, we, we do 10 to 12 years on the debt side and that does cost a little bit more money on the interest rates, but we feel like we'd rather do that than get in a situation where we have a five-year uh, loan, there's a dip in the market. And now all of a sudden you've got to sell when the market's down. So we lock up that long-term debt so that if there is a downturn, we can ride it out. So that's what I would say are three things that you can do to protect yourself from re a recession. And maybe some people are not doing right now. Absolutely. Lolita, what are, what are your goals? What are, what are you excited for uh, <laughs> about investing with, with your new hubby, Kyle? Well, I'm excited that he's like super full-time now and active I'm hoping to quit my full-time job to join him full-time. Um, so hopefully that's within a year away. Aren't you a golf instructor or something? Uh, I'm a general manager for a golf course. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, hopefully we will acquire, you know, a bunch of buildings in Phoenix and Tucson in the near future. Cool. What would that do for you guys? What What is exciting? Because for me, I'm, I'm going to retire by the time I'm 45 and, and give back to a lot of people, help my kids. You, you guys don't have kids yet, but help my kids learn how to do service and help others with, with the money that I make, as well as have a great lifestyle and do a lot of vacations. But, but what, what are you guys excited for for the future as far as hitting your goals? Mine would be financial independence. And now we don't want to just do nothing and lay on a beach all day. I mean, although that sounds nice, but <laughs> we would love to have the freedom to work and travel at the same time. And I think that would be like my end all be all goal. 
from what we're doing right now. I don't know about Kyle's. Yeah, it's the same. I mean, our our mission behind being in multifamily is to help other people. And so that's kind of our, what we do to help other people in our why. But ultimately, we'd love to be able to do that while we're in, let's just say, Italy for 30 days, right? I mean, you, yeah, nowadays, yeah. you can do anything. We can do our podcast from anywhere in the world. We can have teams set up so that they're visiting the properties and you know, you can fly and, and go there and visit the properties as well. So we just want to be able to create the life where we're able to decide what we do with our time while being able to help out other people. I think the more time you have, the more you can help others and, and build that. And right now, yeah. you know, with Lolita having her full-time job, that's not as possible. So I think that would be the ultimate goal. Absolutely. You know, money isn't everything, but the more disposable time and disposable money you have, the more people you can help, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So what do you have going on now that we can promote for you guys? We've got about a minute left. I know you have another call to get on, but what, what's exciting or what projects do you have going on? I know you have an awesome podcast, so, so tell us about what you got going on. Okay. Well, our podcast is Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate. So go ahead and take a listen on that. If any of your listeners are located in Southern California, Kyle and I host a meetup in Long Beach every second Tuesday of the month. And that's at Recreation Park 18 Golf Course in the Ballroom. If you want to learn about Kyle and myself and our company, our website is at limitless-estates.com. Anything else? We do provide uh, other free content as well. We do uh, monthly webinars now. And so our last one a couple weeks ago was the tax benefits uh, for passive investors. The next one we're doing is how to underwrite a multifamily deal. So we just focus on giving as much free value as possible. So if you visit our website, all that stuff's on there. And we'd love to talk to anyone and help out any way we can. That take up huge amounts of your time the city cannot give you not pass your inspection why not take your time and and your money and your expertise and put that into a much larger deal the same amount of time put in can earn you a lot more money and and i agree with you i think the first thing people should do is find a good operator operator like yourself and say hey i want to i want to learn commercial real estate can i bring you some money can i bring you some time and uh, maybe introduce you to a few other investors like myself. And, and I have a feeling that, you know, you would say, absolutely, you know, bring me some investors. I will educate you through the process. I'll show you what I do. And, and most people are, are very uh, open to teaching others. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's huge. And uh, yeah, so, so I, man, that, I, I think that's probably one of the things that I've done the best in my career is, I've accepted maybe a little bit less of the deal. I don't need the whole deal, but with the right partner. And you're paying for an education, right? So I'd rather not lose money. I'd rather make a little bit of money with a partner that's experienced and and doing things the right way. And, And there's a lot of wrong ways to invest in real estate. There's a lot of people losing money. I just sold a sixplex near the University of Utah at a 4.5 cap rate. I, I don't know what their business model is. I, I don't know how they plan on making money. Right. Um, apparently, they're okay losing money every month because I, I know what kind of mortgage they got and they're a few hundred dollars negative each month. It's just interesting what people decide to do. So on that topic, can you think off the top of your head, maybe the top one or two mistakes you see people making getting into this business and 
and how to avoid those? Definitely the biggest thing is not having the right team. And if you're starting out, you go for a small piece of a big deal. Don't, don't go try to do this thing. A lot of stuff in real estate is counterintuitive. And so you do not want to go try and figure this stuff out, especially on a commercial deal. So partner up, you know, like you said, get with somebody that's, that's got that track record. That's the biggest mistake I see is somebody having this do it all myself mentality on large yep. commercial stuff. That's not how you play that game. It's a team sport. And so that's the biggest mistake I see is, is people thinking, Oh man, you know, I've got to take all this stuff down myself. You know, that, that the mis as a mistake on a big commercial deal, your first time out, that probably takes you out of the game for, for life. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, mistakes in real estate, you, you put a couple hundred thousand in there. It's your life savings and you don't do all the right research and right homework. You make a few mistakes. That's gone. I mean, it's really easy to lose money. Personally, I've been so patient and very cautious. I've probably missed a lot of good deals, sure. but I've never done a bad deal. I've never made less than a 20% return on any of my investments. And while that sounds crazy, it's actually not that hard to do if you're very, very, very patient. And no, I agree with you. People need to team up. I mean, let's take sports. I don't know if you like sports, Devin, but LeBron James needs a team. You know, he needs coaches. He needs the right team in place. And that was very apparent. A couple of the teams he's been on, while he's a superstar, even being amazing at what he does, he needs a really good team in place to win those championships. And um, I would say commercial real estate, you need a, an amazing property manager. You need someone that can underwrite a deal and, and you need someone that can work with investors. And, and there's so many different facets in, in these real estate deals. I've been under the mindset, stop swinging for the fences, stop trying to make a million bucks on one deal and be okay with the singles and the doubles. Cause at the end of the day, it's a, it really real estate to me is a get rich over time, not get rich quick. Uh, what do you think about that topic? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it really should almost be boring, which is kind of, I mean, if you need your excitement, go, go find it somewhere else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you know, sports or whatever it is, but don't look for the excitement in, in real estate because it really, especially multifamily stuff, like it's pretty boring. It's yeah. <laughs> like, we're going to go in and we're going to spend 4,000 bucks on this unit and we're going to put in the same old flooring, same <laughs> paint fixtures that we did at this other one and this other one and this other one. And we're going to get a hundred dollar rent premium. And I mean, it is boring, right? And that's- You got to be kind of a nerd. I mean, really to, to get excited about that kind of stuff. I make yeah. fun of myself all the time. Hey, I'm nerdy. I'm sorry. That gets me excited. Most people, it's pretty boring though, right? Yeah, it is boring. And so, I mean, it, it should be, right? You need to get the team in place and let them, let them do what they do. But, you know, it shouldn't be this big, exciting mystery of, of how things are going to work. I mean, challenges are going to come up, but uh, as a business plan and as, as a business model, it's pretty darn straightforward. So, I mean, that's, that's, I think, what you want. I like what you said about not swinging for the fences too. I mean, you know, the deals are big enough in commercial that, you know, like some of my first deals, I gave away big chunks of the deal to partners that could help me get them done. Yep. Don't care at all. They made great money. I made great money. Everybody wins. And I think a lot of people have this uh, famine mentality when mm -hmm. it comes to just life in general. And I think that really holds a lot of people back and you can see it where people want to fight and split hairs and, and it's like, man, this is, um, 
you know, you, you're going to be fighting over, over nothing because you're not going right. to be in a deal. And now you, you were fighting over a percentage point or something, and now you're not in a deal. And so I found that the people that are successful, not that they're necessarily generous, but they have an abundance mentality. And if yeah. it's, hey, especially getting started, it's definitely not about, you know, my first partnership on a larger complex, I had a very small ownership, you know, and I've even mm -hmm. had friends go, oh my gosh, you did that deal for this tiny piece of ownership. And it's like, well, how many multifamilies do you own now, two years later, right? Uh, zero. Yeah, right, you know, right. I got in, did the deal, wasn't the greatest split for me, but man, that really set the stage for the, for, for everything else to come. Right. So I think that's, that's the way to play it is, is you get in, you get in because most people are, have done zero deals and, right. and these theories about it and all these ideas and all these preconceived ideas about how they're going to approach it. And then a very few amount of people are actually in these deals and have done deals and they, they have a different approach. Absolutely. That's huge. And, you know, I left a company last year where they were splitting hairs over, over money over, and it was not fun. We were all making a lot of money and it was, it got so old so quick talking about who's making what I hated it. So when I put together my company to start buying these large multifamily deals, my, my background is sales. So I've been selling them, but I, I found a, a friend from college and who's been very successful, done different businesses and his mentality has always been the same. He's so easygoing. He wants everyone else to win. And that's the people that I'm partnering with. It, you know, business will take care of itself if you have the right attitude and you want others to win. And I love it as a realtor, as an investment specialist, as a business partner. I get really excited. This may be my nerdy side, but I get really excited about other people making money and how what this business does for other people. And so you know, probably drives some of my clients crazy, but I sit there and I, t I look into their 30 year outlook on their portfolio and I get super excited. And, you know, most of them are just trying to make a simple, good investment. I'm talking to them about their 10, their 15, their 30 year outlook. And same thing with my business partner. We split everything 50, 50. I, the money's going to come if you, if you help enough people, if you have the right principles and and I think you're absolutely right. You, you can't be splitting hairs. You just got to do deals with the right people, do the right deals and money will come. Your goals will, will get hit. So look, we're, we're out of time, Devin. You've, you've had a lot of really good points. I really appreciate you being on the show and you're doing huge things. I, I want to recap really quick. What are your two biggest projects you're working on? Tell us about your website. Tell us about what you're doing so that people can reach out to you and, and learn more. Yeah, sure. So the website is djetexas.com. Texas is spelled out. So that's Delta Juliet Echo Texas.com. That's just my company kind of catch all and there's podcasts and videos there and ways to connect with me. What we're working on now is trying to just close down that next multifamily property. So we just closed 124 units last month and we've got LOIs out on a, a couple of very large projects. Now I don't get you know, everybody riled up until we actually have something signed. Cause a lot of times we don't win these things and that's fine, but yep. we're, we're building out. What I'm really excited about is building out the systems and the team internally to be able to go take down more projects, put more investment opportunities in front of our investors and then help people grow along the way too. You know, so we've got some partners that are, that are newer to the game that we'll bring in on, in on a deal just so they can kind of get started in the business. And to your point, that part's really rewarding to kind of see, you know, see everybody else kind of come along and grow with you. So I, I love that aspect of the business. 
Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Well, you know, I, I always ask um, on Facebook, clients, friends, this is kind of a controversial question, but I forgot to ask it at the beginning. So let, I'm going to ask it now. A lot of people feel like cap rate is more important than location. What do you think? Yeah. So I invest in one market in San Antonio. So that takes a lot of that off the table <laughs> for me, right? Is I'm not, I'm not shopping around different markets. Cap rates are really low. Uh, a friend of mine that's an operator that's that is giant portfolio said the cap rates aren't really, you don't want to think about them as, as being tied at the hip to interest rates per se, but it's really cap rate is the measure of the desirability of an asset, right? And multifamily, uh -huh. 70s and 80s construction multifamily in San Antonio is constrained. You cannot create more of it. There's a lot of people moving here. We're growing. So, you know, I, I feel good about where we're investing. Now, on a reversion cap rate, do we want to push it up 50 basis points, 100 basis points? Sure. In case we see cap rates expand, absolutely. We, we want to do yeah. that in our underwriting. But it's so it's a concern, right? They're really low, but there's also a ton of demand for this asset class and you can't create more of it. So right. in that sense, we're bullish. I still want to see some kind of a value add component where we can go in and force appreciation. And I still want to push cap rates up at, at our exit on our, on our underwriting. But, you know, I think we're in a low interest rate environment for the foreseeable future. We just, you know, as a country, we can't raise interest rates too much and, and right. our debt payments. It's just, so I think we're in a long-term low rate interest rate uh, environment. Nobody's got a crystal ball, but you know, we need to do deals that are in front of us right now with a reasonable margin of safety in terms of cap rate expansion. And, you know, there's people that, that have been sitting on the sidelines in cash since 2011. So, yeah, you know, maybe that's the right move, but if you're going to go, oh, out and do deals, I don't think it is. Yeah. You, you got to You got to go out and play ball. So right. do the best well, you can so it sounds like you're more interested in, is there an upside? Am, am I buying a desirable good asset? I mean, that sounds like it's a little bit more important than cap rates for you. Yeah, anyway. So for, for sure. I just, I, I need to be able to for, force appreciation up. Right. So yep. that's through some kind of renovations and rebranding. We need to be able to get revenue up based on, on what the market's doing. And if, if the revenue's up and we've got good debt terms, I feel pretty, pretty good about it, even with a little bit of a cap rate expansion in there. Awesome. You know, and, and I agree 100%. I get really frustrated as a realtor or as a, an investment specialist when people are saying, well, that's not a very good cap rate. And they're comparing it to the Midwest where you can get a eight cap, a 10 cap. And I, mm -hmm. you know, I'm buying, my properties are in the Silicon Slopes where there's 60,000 new jobs just in my town, south of Salt Lake City, at, with companies like Adobe, like Amazon, like eBay, Vivint Solar, and, and they're telling me that a, a six cap isn't very impressive. Well, I, I, there's something to be said for a good asset and a good location. And while cap rates are important, I'm exactly with you, in line with you. Um, I want an asset that's going to, have good appreciation and, and long-term they're not building any more of those 60, 70s multi-units and uh, they're not going to, you know, I don't want to buy a luxury A-class apartments because those right. didn't do well during the, the downturn, which leads me to my next question. My last question for you, where do you think we're at in the cycle? Do you think we're close to a, another downturn? Do you think we've already started? Do you think it's going to be a few years still? Uh, what are you seeing in your market and, and what's your, best educated guess. 
Yeah. So I, I guarantee to everybody listening, we have 261 days left. Uh, and before we see that, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's no way to know, right? A recession doesn't die of old age. So I, it's easy to say, hey, this, this is longer than the last expansion. So we're due for one. I tend to agree in general terms with that, right? I, I, I want to see kind of what's bubbling up. I think we've got issues with student debt. We've got issues with our national debt. We've got kind of some of these macroeconomic things happening. But we've also got a lot of trends that are pushing towards more renters, right? Yeah. Lots, of, lots of trends there. So that, that's certainly, certainly a factor there. So I don't know is the answer. You know, I need to be able to stress test the deals that I'm in now uh-huh. to be able to service our debt if, if we're not able to refinance or, or if, if credit seizes up. So that's really kind of the model that we go in with is to be able to, to service our debt. Uh-huh. Worst case scenario where we can't refinance, but I don't, I don't have a crystal ball. Gotcha. Me neither, but it's interesting to see. And, and I'm sure you're buying with that in mind, at least being conservative, which I know all the good syndicators are because you have to, you have to, plan for the worst and, and hope for the best and, and really be, be ready for that next recession to come. And, and that's the biggest topic on this podcast is be ready for it. You know, don't be buying assets that are four and a half caps that you're not going to be able to, to cash flow if you have any vacancy. So Devin, thank you so much. You've been, you've been a great guy to get to know over the last year. We're part of the same mastermind. And it's been great seeing you there, but also hearing what you've done. A lot of people are just like you. They want to get out of the, the corporate world. They want to build a retirement. So your, your story is very inspiring. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Sam, my pleasure. Really appreciate you having me. 